Welcome to the Jump Around with Blake Dudonis, my podcast on women's basketball. Joining me today, it's going to be Montana State head coach Trisha Binford. Been there for 15 years at Montana State. I'm one of the more consistent mid-major uh, programs in the country. Won 25 games this year. They went 19-1 in conference. Made it all the way to the Big Sky Championship game and then didn't get to play it. Uh, I know that is a, a tough circumstance. Many programs face this year, but this one was really rolling along on a pretty historic streak. So we'll talk to her about her team, her program with building it. She was drafted in the WNBA in 1998 out of Boise State and had a chance to play a few years professionally with Cleveland and Utah, played overseas uh, in Australia. Just a, a really uh, a cool a cool backstory. So we'll talk to her about her journey to Montana State, how they've been able to be so successful, how they've navigated uh, all this uh, craziness with the virus and and how our team kind of handled not getting that chance to go to the NSA tournament. So we'll get her on here and be right back. This is the jump around. And welcome back to the Jump Around. And joining me, it is Montana State head coach Trisha Benford. Coach, I uh, I really appreciate you taking some time for me. Uh, an unbelievable year for you guys, and I, I know we're going to get into that. But uh, I really am I'm happy to have you on, and I appreciate you you being willing. Uh, I'm happy to be on, Blake. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, so we as we do, we we, we like to go back and kind of tell the story of uh, you know how you got to where you got and. Uh, if you go back to, to your playing days, you're the player of the year in Colorado in high school. You end up going to, to Boise State and, and have an unbelievable career, graduate the all-time leading assists uh, leader there, second in steals, you scored 1,000 points. Um, you, you end up getting a professional career out of it. I mean, basketball's taking you to some pretty cool places. When, you, when you're growing up, when you're 15, 16, 17, did, did you ever envision that, that basketball would take you to, to where it did? I did not. I think uh, my first vision for basketball was to, to get a Division One scholarship. Uh, just kind of shooting in our backyard or our front driveway with uh, my brother. And, and uh, you know, at the time, we were really a small town, so I actually never even got to see a college game until I played in one, uh, at least live. And, uh, and at that point, there was not really professional basketball that I was even aware of, so... It was really just a dream to get a to get a scholarship and my education paid for. Um, being a daughter of educators and just really enjoyed my ride at Boise State. And I think it was going into my junior or senior year where our assistant coach Mike Doherty mentioned that there was the possibility you could play overseas. And this was still before the WNBA and ABL had begun. So I'm like, really, you can do that? And uh, so all along, it was just kind of ambition to um, finishing my degree uh, in criminal justice and potentially trying to get into the FBI somehow. Uh, my uncle was in the Secret Service and, you know, just kind of everything started to snowball at that point um, with uh, the professional opportunities. And my senior year, uh, when I ended up graduating, I originally wanted to try out for the ABL. It was just starting up and I had to have double knee surgery. And so, that was kind of not an option at that point. And so uh, I was able to get an agent who was at, uh, based out of Australia. And that's how I got my first step overseas. And that's when the WNBA opened up and everything kind of just fell into place. 
Yeah, it's funny because you, you, you get to do both. You get to go overseas and play in Australia, and you were also uh, drafted into the WNBA and got to play in that. What uh, what was that experience like on, on both fronts? You know, um, both were truly amazing. It's one of uh, one of the messages you know, with every recruit that we sit down with. Uh, you know, obviously your degree is, is the priority number one. We want you to have an unbelievable college experience along the way. Uh, if kids have an opportunity and they have an ambition to continue their career path in the game of basketball, we always tell them you can work for the rest of your life, but there's nothing like getting an experience overseas, just the culture aspect, um, uh, being in a completely different country. I think being on your own when you're not able to get home. And I think there's a lot of growth there. I thought spiritually for me, it was one of the biggest time periods I had in my entire life. Uh, I thought, so, so there's, there's so many different dynamics about being overseas and then the opportunity to play in your own country and hearing your national anthem again, from an emotional standpoint, it's really hard to communicate how powerful that is of being able to get paid for something you love to do. And so I just felt extremely blessed and fortunate that, uh, I, I had some things fall in at the right time and some doors open at the right time and some coaches that I was a good fit for, but uh, I think if, if any student athlete, uh, once they complete their graduation and college experience, if they have an opportunity, I think uh, I, for me it's a no-brainer. It's just a, it's, it's a blast. Uh, they're really great experiences and, and some, some difficult, some hard, but uh, I think there's so many ways that you can grow in those experiences. Yeah. Um, I know that you, by nature, are uh, um, a humble person, which I appreciate, but please tell me, uh, is it true that you, while in Australia, had a quadruple-double? Well, I did, but I always like to joke that the competition wasn't fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it still counts, um, Coach. It still have. counts. Uh, uh, well, you know, I tell a lot of people that if I would have made my free throws, that would have been 70. Um <laughs> I missed a couple free throws, but, uh, no, it was, uh, Australia's a little bit different, you know, like here in the States, you know, if you pretty much clinch the game and you've got to check, you want to, um, you know, have a little bit of grace there and, and not run up the score. Whereas in Australia, it's, it's no mercy, uh, type of mentality. And so, so we had a pretty major lead and our coach was running with it and, uh, we're, we're attacking it, but, um, you know, some of those games when the rim gets bigger, it feels a little bit bigger. You could, uh, shoot a little different ways, but, uh, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun, but, uh, like I said, the competition wasn't, you know, uh, WNBA level by any means, but it was a lot of fun. I, I mean, 60 points, it's a lot of points. <laughs> well, I was actually really happy that I got it in rebounds too. You know, when you're playing guard, you know that <laughs> yeah, other that's factors. True. You're really out of skills and rebounds. You really want an assist, and uh, you know. But there's going to be a game like that again. But uh, you know, I, I think most basketball players will say, "Oh yeah, I had a game where you got in the zone and it felt really easy, and it certainly got to that point." But we got a lot of skills. We a lot of open shots and, you know, jobs just to knock down the shots. But <laughs> I do feel like I was in great shape when I did play over there. There you go. Definitely not not seasoned in that shape right now. <laughs> no, I don't think any of us are right now, so that's that's fair. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, so you, you go and have a career uh, as a professional. So how does 
how does that end and how does the coaching career start? What, what spurred it? You know, what things fell into place to make that happen? Yeah, they, they kind of continued to overlap. So uh, when I was playing in the WNBA, uh, I continued in my off season uh, when I was playing in Cleveland to come back to Boise to do my training. I, you know, I had uh, my former physical therapist there and trainers. And uh, so they would, you know, strength coaches, all of them would have programs for me to do my training. And obviously my, my, for, my team, team being from there. Uh, and during that time, the new head coach, who was an assistant coach at our time, Trish Stevens, uh, asked me if I wanted to coach basketball in my off-seasons uh, during my training. So with the WNBA at the time, their assistant didn't go out recruiting during the summer. And I'm like, gosh, gosh this is perfect. You know, I could continue staying in shape, practicing with the team, training them. And so I started doing that. Uh, for a couple of years, and in the meantime, I ended up meeting my my future husband Todd, and we got married. And it just it, it became to the point where it was kind of uh, a little bit of a tug of war because you know when you're a perfectionist, you want to do things well, you want to be all in about it. And I felt like I was not giving everything I could to the coaching piece to the student athletes, and I wasn't giving everything to finishing off my career. And then on top of it, being married. And so I actually took a break of coaching just to finish out um, playing basketball the way I wanted to do, just to make sure that, uh, you know, I, I had reached the potential that uh, I had pursued. And during that time is when Reagan Peebley at Utah State uh, approached me about uh, starting up her program. They had not had a division program for 16 years. And at that point, she told me I couldn't coach. And so I just prayed a lot about it uh, with my husband and just felt like the right time to change courses. My body was probably ready. And once again, I just thought uh, both of those moves uh, seemed to be at the right time. And that's kind of how coaching got spurred for us. It was never something I totally pursued. It was just once um, some great opportunities came up, it was was a no-brainer. Yeah, and then... You you get your your head coaching job at Montana State where you're at now and and that first one right that first head coaching job is always a little a little scary right and you just you're not you're not 100 percent sure if you know what's going on and and you take over a program and, and you guys only win three games that first year uh, and you you jump up and win 13 the next year and and since then you have not been below 500 which is remarkable. Uh, but go back to that first year. Yeah, you're you're winning three games. It's it's your first time, you know, running stuff. What was it like in that first season? Well, I think uh, having played in the WNBA, where I was never, I wouldn't say I was ever superstar, so to speak. I was always trying to work on um, making the team and then finding a way to be an impact on the team. I think that prepared me well for my first year of coaching, and the reason being is. Um, I was used to not having, I guess, stability a little bit, you know, just continuing to prove yourself. And um, when I sat down with our athletic director at the time about that job in the state of Montana, uh, they only had one-year contracts for head coaches when I first started. And and we're com- I'm coming into a program that was pretty dead last in the conference. And so I'm like, I'm a little concerned about it. Like, what do you think you can get the job done? And so then when you're put in the place of, okay, I can do this, um, 
and you're not having a lot of success, you're, you're just really trusting the process of, are we building the foundation the right way? And what I'm really proud of that group with, I had taken a group that, for the most part, I got a couple kids late in the recruiting process, but most of those kids were kids I had not recruited in that program, uh, but yet I got them to, to buy in of the things that we asked of them and to really put tremendous effort for going through at the time period. I think some of them had gone through three coaches. and. So they didn't necessarily get the fruits of the labor, so to speak, but they really built a foundation that we have been about ever since, about the kind of character kids, the kind of kids that are going to be successful um, academically, what they're doing in our society, and also putting it all out there on the court. Uh, And when you're super competitive, to get yourself to focus on those things, that's really, really challenging to do. I remember getting my first ball. Uh, after my first collegiate head coaching win, and it was January on that ball. I, I, it was very quickly that I tried to get that ball out of my office because I didn't want to remember it all the time. So, uh, but at the same time, it was uh, it was also gratifying being able to say that our staff and our kids built this and they established a foundation that we have been consistently over time trying to take the next steps. Um, but the character piece stayed and remained uh, true to where we started it. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. Well, yeah, clearly it works because you did you did turn it around pretty pretty darn quick. Um, as you have gotten the program rolling the way that you guys have, again, you after those first two years, you've you've been plus five hundred ever since. But what has? Because I mean, you know, if people don't know, you you're Bozeman, Montana. Like what? 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 what where is that? Where, where is that, right? Most people, we've never heard of that, or I don't know where, I couldn't find that on a map, but how are you guys able to consistently turn out a, a program that you guys are competing, if not winning, competing for Big Sky Championships every year? Well, yeah, I think, first of all, you got to know who, you're, who you are and you've got to be able to sell it. So your message um, over the course of, of these years, I think the advantage of staying where we're at and knowing Bozeman, Montana, knowing our university extremely well, um, we're able to have a really consistent message and theme. And um, I think the other piece about that is kids know um, from a culture standpoint who we are right from day one. But, uh, you know, we are a very different location, and, you know, you've got to be able to sell um, to that. And for us, we feel like we're a destination. We're, we're not going to be able to get, you know, thousands of kids on our campus during the summer for camps or just kind of driving through or maybe either at a tournament. They want to stop in and do an unofficial visit. So we've got to be really intentional and pursue these kids early to give them reasons to visit uh, Bozeman, Montana, but at the same time, like I said, I think we have so many things that we're really proud of that are selling points. We're just going to have to make sure we're proactive and we get on kids' radar at an early age. So, you know, when you look at Bozeman, Montana, it's not cheap to come in, in here, but once you're here, it's definitely worth it. And it's a tourist destination. The university is skyrocketing right now. I think uh, just once again, that piece of you want a great academic experience. We're going to really challenge you here, but you're, the results are going to going to be tremendous. And then we have a location where it's very, very unique. We always joke, like, if you go out of our state and in some places in our conference, there might only be 100 people in that gym, but you come to Montana State, you're going to have two to three 
sometimes 4,000 people in that gym cheering you on. So when we're asking student athletes to put in that kind of effort, you want you want to get people to back them and support them. And it's just a, it's an amazing atmosphere here. Yeah, I was actually, you led me perfectly into what I was going to say next. I was going to mention that you guys do get great fan support. You do get a great backing from your community. When did that happen? Uh, when did uh, what, was there a, a, a specific season or moment where you felt like the community embraced you, or did, you, did it just kind of come along, you know, slow and steady throughout your years? Well, probably slow and steady, but it was one of the things that was really intriguing about the job when it came available. So, um, when I played at Boise State, Boise State was in the Big Sky at the time that I played at Boise State, and so Montana State was um, a place that I had always competed against and uh, I remembered the crowds being really good here uh, so that was one of the things when Montana State came open uh, my husband and I are like oh this is an exciting place it's got really a lot of potential to be successful the location's great for a family um, but when we first uh, got hired here the embrace uh, embracing of the community was right from the start uh, they already had a small booster club called the Fast Break Club which was solely to support women's basketball. And two of the board members, the president and vice president, um, one of them was the first women's basketball coach here, Ellen Craigbaum. And then Jenny Hunt was a former athletic director here that kind of got the, the programs rolling as well. And these are two ladies that did tremendous things during the Title IX era and just really have thought for um, women's athletics and opportunities in general. So here I already have firepower uh, of support with this board, but then the community, um, people were starting to come from the start, but obviously the more success you have, that's um, going to get people into the into the gym, into the games, and then once you start really connecting your student-athletes with your community, all of a sudden you, you definitely have um, – some people that want to continue getting out there and getting behind your, your program. So it, it has gradually uh, happened, but I think our marketing department has over the last uh, four or five years as well, really started to take some, some really creative opportunities with this Bobcat school games. We've had at least one solid game in the last couple of years with the elementary games. So there's a lot of different things that we do um, to encourage the attendance, but I also think it's something that Bozeman's known of being a small college town. Yeah. Uh, something else that you kind of build on as you built your program and you you were winning games and uh, improving you know, the winning, winning the tournament, getting to the NSA tournament was elusive for a while. You guys were finally able to break through and do that. What was that like for you when, again, you, you, you're right there and it's so hard as, as we all know in coaching, like it's just, it's so hard to, cause only each conference gets one winner, right? So it's, it's extremely difficult, even if you have good teams, but for you guys to finally break through and get into that tournament, what was that experience like for you guys? Well, it was pretty emotional. Um, the, the first year that we won the conference, uh, we had a couple, we had quite a few kids that were returning um, to the program. But the very first year that we won it, we actually got upset in the first game of the tournament. And what's unique about the Big Sky Conference, previously, this was the very first year it went to a neutral site. The Big Sky Conference, back in the day, the team that won the conference got to host. And what that did is it, protected the top team, especially when you're 
in that mid-major. You want your best teams moving forward to represent you when you only have the one bid for the NCAA tournament. Um, but it also, they had previously only allowed, I think, the top six go on to the Big Sky Tournament. So you, you got to make the tournament, and then you got to host the tournament. Well, we were the first year that it went to a neutral site, and every team got to go. And uh, so that was that was a bummer. Obviously, you'd love to host that uh, if, if you're the team that wins it. But uh, the very first year, we got upset, and I think it was a seven seed or it was a seed that wouldn't have been in the previous year. And um, that was really, really heartbreaking for the kids. And the next year, those returners were pretty much on a mission that this is not happening again. And I think... When you take a program that has been from losing to finding ways to win to now having a bullseye on your back, that is, there's some mental hurdles there. And it's like climbing the mountain. It's not like getting to the top um, is a, it's, it's still a step, but it's a much harder step uh, towards that end. And I think those last few years of getting to the point where the most difficult because then you're, you're really clenched on the mental piece of, now we're getting everybody's best punch, everybody, you know, and now we could lose versus when you're the underdog, it's a little bit less of a burden that you've got, you play a little bit looser, but that group, there was nothing that, that was going to stop them. And you just saw it in their eyes from finding a way to finish it. And every big sky tournament game was a grind. Our offense was ugly. I don't think um, <laughs> we broke 60 or 70, any of those games. And we were an offensive team that every time we broke 70, we won, but we had to win that with our defense that week. And so when we, when we clinched it and they got to cut down the nets and celebrate, it was really emotional for such a long time, not only for Montana State, but for that particular group, uh, what they were capable able to do. So it was obviously a, an amazing feeling. It was very emotional, um, but, uh, you know, just extremely proud of that group. Yeah, and then you go to, to this year, you guys are 25-6, and six. you go 19-1 and one in conference, uh, you take care of business your first two games in the tournament, and then one week ago today, uh, you should have been playing Idaho uh, in the championship game, and then obviously everything that's happened with uh, with the coronavirus has, has derailed that. Um, I know a lot of coaches have talked about this, you know, not getting a chance to finish, but for you guys, I mean, you're you're in the championship game. It's right there, and then this happens. Uh, if If you can... Uh, take us into just you and your staff finding out and obviously having to kind of talk to your team about that. I just, I can't imagine the, the difficulty that must have been. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, for for everyone, it's it's obviously been a tough situation. I think for this particular team uh, that we had and the special group that we had, it just, it, it, it felt like, um double that or even quadruple to be quite honest um i you know when when everything started coming coming down and we're hearing word the the biggest regret that i have in that whole transition and situation is just not being able to have the first voice on the matter because everything hits so much on social media and no coach is prepared for something like this because none of us have gone through anything like this but you know, you're like, gosh, I wish I would have handled so many things differently. But um, the morning, so so basically after we beat NAU in the post-game media interviews uh, was the first time we got asked the question of, hey, if you're able to win 
on Friday and play an NCAA tournament, how's that going to feel if there's no fans in attendance? So on our radar, in our thought process, um, I just don't think, you know, when you're, you're talking about things that you can control, like that's the message you, you coach up your kids every single day. Nobody puts on your radar like the fact that this isn't going to happen at all. So you're like, this is what we can control if there's a game and no fans. Um, and I made the joke, I guess I don't, I, I might not have to dress up as nice, but that was like the only thing that was really on our radar. I mean, we were just trying to lock the kids into our next, next game on the agenda to finishing this is Idaho. Um, and at the time it wasn't, we didn't even know that yet because they hadn't played their game. Um, but it was basically, uh, the winner of that game. And so the morning Thursday, we had gotten word from our athletic director that the presidents were meeting. Um, but at that point it's pretty clear that, okay, the big sky conference is going to remove fans for the remainder of this tournament. Um, at no point was it indicated that the tournament would be canceled and our student athletes were out at elementary schools, both teams, us in Idaho were both at elementary schools. Uh, they were doing community service and reading to students that day. Um, the staff, we were working on, obviously, our scanner report and watching film. And that's when uh, the men's basketball coach and myself both got the text from our athletic director that it was canceled. You know, we needed to meet downstairs. So we're meeting downstairs, and our kids are doing community service when this hit. So... Um, really we're trying to get the t kids back to the hotel to have a team meeting to discuss it, but this is already hitting social media before I get, you know, eyes on them right away. Uh, I'll tell you this, there was a lot of tears in our team meeting. Um, obviously again, I'm trying to be strong for the team of communicating the message that, um, we don't want to make really rushed decisions right now because we still didn't know if the NCAA tournament at this point that we had this team meeting was going to go on the following week. So all I had for my information was with the tournament next week, with us being the number one seed, we'd be the team advancing to the NCAA tournament. And for us, spring break was the next week. So we were just trying to keep them locked into being patient. Let's wait and hear um, whether I'm going to let them you know, uh, leave for spring break, or we're going to go back to Bozeman to prepare for the tournament. And in the meantime, you know, or we're just trying to work through this team meeting. And, uh, so like I said, I wish I could have had that meeting a little bit different, um, to celebrating what this team has really, really done. Uh, seniors, obviously very emotional. And when you have, we have five seniors and the chemistry of our team this season has been one of the most uh, special teams I've ever had an opportunity to coach and all season long this team has been about not just winning the big sky tournament I mean that was the next on the agenda but it was this, this team wanted to win the postseason after the big sky tournament that's one of the reasons why we had the preseason schedule we did and we're sitting on 17 in a row. That's a school tie. We're sitting on 25 wins. That's a school tie. And then we're just stopped. And uh, so we broke. We let them kind of um, decompress that situation. And we told them we would keep them posted. But once again, they're all out 
uh, whether they're in hotel rooms or with some family members when the news broke about the NCAA tournament being canceled. And so now I'm trying to get them all back together again. And it's just, it, it's tough. And I think every coach could tell you the situation, there's, there's no way for us to alleviate the emotion and the pain. And I think as the news has continued to break and the seriousness of the virus and how contagious this is, I think everybody can say we understand the decisions that were made and why they were made. But it also doesn't change uh, the heartbreaking ending for kids that have been spending seven months for this one moment. And I thought Fallon Freegi, one of our seniors, said it, said it the best. She was one of our transfers to our program one of the the only senior in our program that has not played an NCAA tournament said it was 40 minutes she was 40 minutes away of finishing this run that we're on to advance to the tournament and we can't change that and it's it's really unfortunate and we're obviously praying for for our nation and all these things to get calmed down but you know, for your sport, and you and I both know how much time and effort these ladies put in. It's yeah. it's pretty tough. Yeah, with the now that we're you know we're we're still in it and kind of going through and all in our homes. How uh, how have you guys handled? Uh, one, you know, staying with your players and communicating with them, but uh, the recruiting piece too. I know everyone's had to get a little creative with. You know, this is a time where there are a lot of transfers and you want to have people on your campus and you can't. So how have you guys uh, navigated that aspect? Yeah, um, that part, uh, like you said, it's it's creative and, and challenging for sure. Um, the biggest thing is just trying to communicate the message that those things are going to have to be postponed if they're needing to see some things in person, in live. Um, it, it, that part's obviously a waiting game. I think the other waiting game is the NCAA with this dead period through April 15th of not signing NLIs. So your communication, your social media has got to be great, your ability to communicate and relay messages over the phone. Uh, I think for us, uh, we're, we're in a little bit different situation. We just have some small classes the next few years, and we were pretty much wrapped up in the um, in the fall. So the recruiting piece hasn't been maybe um, as panic mode for us as it could be for some other programs trying to jump on this situation right now. Mm-hmm. It's more of just continuing the relationship building that we were on. For us, the bigger piece has been our current situation with our current athletes reporting back for spring break where we're going everything to online courses and the recommendation of the university having students stay at home. So that's been more of our navigation of what does the spring look like uh, as far as finishing and making sure that they have programs to do for training when we're not going to be doing these things in person right now. Uh, and I think that's probably going to have to be the consistent recruiting message. Uh, the bigger recruiting question is, when's that next uh, recruiting period for kids to be out there competing and coaches being able to see them if that continues to get pushed back. You want to make sure those kids have that opportunity to get seen as best as they can. So that's where you are seeing more videos start to pop up and emails being sent from recruits. I think that's probably what we'll be seeing a little bit more of as this continues. Um, But like you said, I'm like one of the – the finishing points for students to making decisions is being able to see people in person and get a feel. And I just don't see how those things um, are going to be navigated anytime soon. Yep. 
Yes, uh, uncharted territory, but at least at least we're all trying to figure it out, right? At the same time, so helps even Absolutely, the playing field for sure. Um, on some lighter stuff, um, an interesting note, and I feel like this this is something that didn't get noticed as much as it probably should have. But um, one of your previous assistant coaches for for a year, uh, a pretty good basketball player named John Stockton. Um, for people who aren't aware that he was with your program, how, how did that all come about? And, uh, that's a pretty cool, that's pretty, as a, as a point guard, as a fellow point guard, that's gotta be pretty solid. That's two solid uh, point guards on staff with you and him. <laughs> yeah. I've uh, been really spoiled with, uh, the people I've gotten to meet in this profession. I think you said it best where basketball gets to take you. Um, basketball definitely opens up a lot of, a lot of doors. So, so we re recruited, um, Lindsay Stockton, that's his oldest daughter, um, to Montana State. And um, actually, my, my first favorite story with John is before he was even on staff. But we, we went after, uh, I'd watch one of her volleyball games after she was signed. And we were we were chatting. And he's like, he wanted to, you know, talk serious about, okay, so tell me what you think of Lindsay. Like, seriously, like, what are your thoughts? And I'm like, John, there's nothing I can tell you about your daughter you don't know. Like, you're literally the best point guard in the world, right? <laughs> And um, and he goes, well, I'm just glad she's going somewhere where she can hear from somebody else because she doesn't want to hear from me. Like spoken like a true parent, right? Yes. Uh, everybody that uh, I'm like, it's uh, it's pretty much a normal parent parent comment. And three years later, we had a coach that got out of the out of coaching a week before practices started in October, and. It was a really tough decision. She's like, you know, approached me like, I can stay on. This is a great career opportunity. And obviously you want to support your, your coaches uh, in their career paths. And, and so when she decided um, to, to take this new job, we're starting season. And this is the squad that we have that um, has a lot of experience back. Uh, the first thought was, do we just go with the staff that we have um, and just go with it as, as now? Uh, I did not really want to hire somebody right before the season and make that a rush decision yeah. uh, for somebody they're not familiar with. And then I was um, at home that evening after she told me this, and I was talking to my husband, and it just hit me, and I, we were talking about it, and I'm like, what do you think about just asking John to help out? He's going to be at majority of the games. Cause so with his family, they've got six kids and kind of their philosophy as parents trying to support all the, all their children was the seniors a, a lot of times got precedent, you know, because it was their final year. So I knew he was going to be even at more games because Lindsay was a senior. And uh, so I called, um, uh, Cammie Bechtold was, uh, our senior women's administrator and, and uh, I, I asked her what she thought and obviously talked to her athletic director and they're like, we'll see what he says. And uh, so when I called him on the phone, I, I kind of told him what I was, I, I presented what I was asking and he goes, Oh, well, I can't commit to that. You know, they still had uh, his youngest was in high school. Um, and obviously he had Laura, his other daughter, and uh, I said, before you say no, talk to Nada, his wife, and come back to me with what you can do. And so, of course, he calls back and he's like, I think I could make probably half of the games and some of the practices. I said, you know, half of the games and half the practices is more than none of them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
So we actually worked out a way. Uh, he didn't want to take a salary. We just worked out a way to help him fly back and forth for the practices and the games. And the days that we had him in, we really focused on some fundamental work that um, he was super excited about. He really, you would think that um, with his offensive um, gifts that he would have leaned to some of those things, but he actually really wanted to help out on the defensive end because he had just a knack for that. So Nate Harris, our defensive coordinator, and him really um, talked a lot on the defensive end, and then we just did a ton of fundamental stuff the days that he was there, which obviously he's absolutely amazing, and we still do so many of, of his fundamental drills uh, to this day. And as we got rolling, it was kind of like he was hooked at that point. And, um, but our team, it was such an easy transition. So I, I kind of jumped ahead, but he had coached at least three of our current players in club basketball. So Lindsay had two former um, Spokane Sandpipers teammates and then Alexa Dawkins. Uh, we just had so many kids that he was already connected with anyway. So it was not like it was unfamiliar familiar territory for the team and the team was just so excited it was uh so much fun he has an amazing sense of humor and my other favorite story is when we um announced our hiring of him my son came home from school he's like mom everybody's talking about you hiring john stockton and then he paused for a second he goes do you think he knows Peyton manning <laughs> so for even our own children it wasn't that big of a deal but um but john thought that was pretty funny so he told our son that he had dinner with Peyton, and uh and you know it just the story goes on we we had a chance to work with one of the best um and one of one of the things i love about coaching is you always can continue to get better and my staff have continually done that they've continually challenged me to get better and he was for sure one of those coaches that we learned so much from. And it was a, a very short season. We had it, but it was one of the most fun seasons ever for yeah, sure. That's a, that's a cool connection. Um, one other note too, I've been told that while you were, obviously you've had, you had a fantastic playing career. Uh, you're a phenomenal coach. I hear something that you, you struggle in though, is that you, you, you mix up or mess up certain phrases. Like when you try to use a phrase, I thought you were going to say technology. I'm like, well, you know Julian very well, so I was assuming it was going to be technology, um, which uh, I'm getting challenged with. Yes, uh, every phrase I have messed up. Uh, there's not one line I've probably said correctly, but when our players went with me for four years, they completely understand it. I, I'm trying to think which one I can give you that uh, doesn't completely throw me under the bus. But that's actually a, that's the correct phrase. Yeah, you got that. Oh, you're I, improving. I might have said time to put a, like knife in the coffin at one point or <laughs> um, the pedal to the metal, whatever those are supposed to be. Um, those never come out correctly. I tend to speak a little bit faster when I'm intense. Yeah. And, uh, but, but we tend to roll with it. As long as they know what you're talking about, that's ultimately, right? That's what matters. Yeah. Well, and when they don't, they just nod. And then, <laughs> you know, the seniors will communicate it to the underclassmen the correct, the Perfect. correctly yeah. for them to understand it. Yes. Yeah, that's upperclassmen. Yeah. They're good for something. That's good. <laughs> yep, we love those upperclassmen. Mm, absolutely. Um, well, I'll let, you, I'll let you get out of here uh, on this final note. But, uh, again, uh, your, your track record speaks for itself. Your program is kind of um, – 
it seems like just kind of hums along, but what, what is the message that you would like to leave with people uh, about your program, about you guys, about what you, what you're doing, what your what you guys are all about? What would that message be? Um, I would say the number one message is team. You know, uh, there's, there's a lot that we're, um, messaging to this generation of this is good for you. What's going to be gratifying for you? What's, you know, but, um, uh, we get, we get kids that are about whatever we need coach. Like, and I think when you get to that point where you get out of your own way and you're about whatever the we, uh, message needs to be, it becomes an amazing journey. And even though that this team this season and what they were on this historic run got cut short, nobody gets to take away the fact that they were a we team and they had a tremendous ride. Like we have so many amazing moments along the way and half of them didn't even appear on the court, whether it was at a team dinner, whether it was after a practice, them hanging out, um, just having conversations outside of basketball. This this team really, truly loves each other, and they care to, about each other, and they challenge each other the right way. Uh, I think that's really the message that we want to be about um, at Montana State is this was a a true team. This was our deepest team. Um, we, we had a tremendously deep team. But even continuing on to the next years and the kinds of kids that we're recruiting, um, we really are about about selflessness and being a great team, and I think when you do that, uh, bigger things can happen um, when you're contributing to that cause. and And right now, I think that's a message for everyone. You know, we're we're all um, trying to isolate as best as we can because we're trying to be a part of the cause that slows mm-hmm. down this virus, and we all have to be responsible and do our part. Um, so when you're when you're trying to um, be a piece in that in that big puzzle um, and doing things the right way. A lot of great things can get accomplished. But um, I'm just proud of all of our kids that we've always got to coach here and be a part of their lives and their journeys. And we're excited about the future of our program. Blessed with the staff I get to work with every day. And we think Bozeman's a pretty special place. Yeah, well, it's been fun watching you guys. Uh, you, you really are a phenomenal program. You're fun to watch. And uh, a heck of a year. No doubt you guys will come out with a vengeance next year. But, Coach, I appreciate you, you sharing a little bit about your story, about your program story, and uh, taking the time for us. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much. Uh, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Well, thanks again to Montana State head coach Trisha Benford for joining me and telling me about her team. Again, uh, 25 wins, tough to do, and 19-1 and in conference, even tougher. But they'll be back, no doubt about that. I uh, appreciate you listening to The Jump Around, whether it's on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, wherever. Uh, wherever you listen, if you can leave a rating and review, that's really helpful uh, for this. And you can find me on Twitter, at Blake Dudonis. Until next time, this is The Jump Around.